0: What is going on? Ray Woodson back with you for Episode 7 of Triple's Alley Report. Giants third base coach Ron Wotus will join us in a few moments. We will talk about all the information that a third base coach must compute before deciding whether to send or hold a runner. Where are the good outfield arms in the game these days? We'll talk about the role of analytics in baseball and Maybe getting Ron Wotus some more traffic at third base in 2019. That would be nice. Uh, so Ron Wotus will be joining us in just a moment. I want to let you know about the BlueWirePods.com family of podcasts. If you don't know about it already, spread the word. We've got some good ones here in the Bay Area, including keeping it 300 with Fallon Smith and James Jones. Of course, James Jones uh, won a ring with the Packers, played with Aaron Rodgers, and he broke our hearts again, did Aaron Rodgers, this week with the 49ers blowing one late 33 to 30. He's broken a lot of hearts in his career, but good football and media talk with James Jones and Fallon Smith, keeping it at 300 at bluewirepods.com. As for this very podcast, we're packing up. We are literally packing up. God moving as a bear. There's another word I could use, but I'll use a bear for now. Uh, as we're gonna get a spot in Arizona, we're gonna be bouncing back and forth between the Bay Area and Arizona. Arizona's place you wanna be in the off season and in the end it'll be a pretty good situation but uh, we're gonna construct a new pit for our little broadcast and our little podcast down in Arizona coming up in the next month or so that is so I don't have a heart attack first did I say moving was hard I think we have about 125 bins at last count it's probably gonna end up being 200 but in the meantime we're gonna pick different venues from which to do the podcast today I'm looking at a beautiful fall foliage at Hap McGee County Park in Danville. Who knows where i'll be next week i don't that's for sure that should be another podcast where in the world is ray woodson in the meantime people say all right what are you doing ray believe me i've heard that condescending tone of voice when they use my name what are you doing ray starting a podcast at the end of a bad giant season well it turns out that baseball fans like talking about baseball in the offseason too and especially where it concerns the giants and a very critical offseason And that includes the search for a general manager, and we have an update on that. The Giants reportedly have interviewed Cubs Senior Vice President of Player Development and amateur scouting Jason McLeod, who has a bit of a track record. He oversaw the drafting of Anthony Rizzo while in Boston, and with the Cubs, uh, well, they drafted Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Albert Almora, and Ian Happ. MLB Executive Kim Eng remains on the Giants' radar. Giants interviewed Diamondback Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations and Assistant GM Amil Sade. that according to Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Sade also was with the Red Sox a while back, and while with them, they drafted Mookie Betts, Andrew Benintendi, Travis Shaw, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Matt Barnes. Not a bad track record there. John Heyman of FanCred reports the uh, Giants are interested in Dodgers executive Josh Burns, Ray's senior vice president of Baseball Operations Hyam Bloom, and Brewers assistant GM Matt Arnold. Giants also reportedly requested to interview Brewers GM David Stearns, but the Brewers rejected that, wisely so as he's got them in the NLCS. And Astros assistant GM Mike Elias, may be on the Giants' list as well. And of course, some of these teams are still playing, so that gives you an idea of the timeline. If they're going to talk to all these people, it's going to be a couple more weeks, uh, at least, before we get any official word. But it sounds like, uh, for one, Amiel Sade was so impressive that uh, he's on their list of finalists. And the bottom line is, I can't give you information on every single one of these people. I do know that Kim Ng would be an excellent choice, Jason McLeod would be an excellent choice, and Amiel Sade would be an excellent choice. Uh, They have a good group from which to choose here, and they fit the parameters of what Larry Barrick talked about, the next-gen GM who can combine analytics and the human side of the game. But the Giants have already been involved in analytics. We've talked about this before. They've got that reputation of uh, being old school, and maybe in part because at this point their their roster doesn't reflect the way the game's being played today. That comes down to talent. And we talk about that and a whole lot more with Giants third base coach, Ron Wotus. All right, this is our uh, seventh Triple Zyler Report. And now I'm my second third base coach, so I see a pattern developing here. We've got Ron Wotis, Giants current third base coach, joining us now. We had Tim Flannery a few weeks ago. And, and Ron, thanks for joining us. And uh, you're playing hurt today. You're coming off that half knee surgery, which I found pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, most of the third base coaches with the Giants, I remember Flan, Phil Nevin, and Roberto Kelly, the last three, have all pulled their calf during the season. And luckily for me, I didn't pull my calf, but my my knee wore out over time, and uh, I had a half a knee replacement. Okay,
0: and you were telling me you're going to have shoulder surgery, but you said it wasn't from waving guys in.
1: Well, <laughs> I wish it was. You know, I tried to use both arms for that, so I, I could go to either arm. But, uh, no, yeah, you know, things over the course of the the year and the years, you, you let go. And this has been bothering me for a long time. So I want to get it fixed because it's really been bothering me as of late.
0: Well, that's good. That's good you have time to, to do that and feel good for next year. Um, you know, I was talking to, to Flannery about this. Uh, outside of the manager, maybe the third base coach gets second guessed the most on who they send and when they send and so forth. We didn't hear a thing about you this year, and uh, and I know you've done it before, but it just seemed like to kick back in naturally for you.
1: Well, it, it did, and and I was very fortunate. Look, uh, spring training was important. You know, it's been 19 years since I did it on a regular basis. Um, you know, I did a game here or there when Flan went away for a for a graduation, and when I went to Taiwan with Boach, uh with an all-star team, I coached third five times. But you know, there's so many little things that are involved with it. Learning your own players, uh, learning the league and the outfielders. You know, I feel much better going into uh, this coming season that I did last year. And you know, sometimes you uh, you're very fortunate in the fact that you know you don't have a lot of difficult decisions. And you, know, you play 162 games. You're going to have your share. But I felt fortunate as if somebody was looking out for me because I didn't have a ton of them where whatever decision I made, um, I was going to be in trouble whether he was out or he was safe. Mm -hmm. You know,
0: and I think that especially on a close play at the plate where a guy is out, you can just say, hey, it took a great throw to beat him.
1: Exactly. And, you know, a lot of it's predetermined. Uh, I know you spoke to Flan, but, you know, you never want to get anybody thrown out with nobody out because you got chances. But with two outs, you're going to get guys thrown out. It's going to happen. But even then, uh, you know, I stopped several guys this year with two outs because I've seen third base coaches in the past two outs, you're going to send everybody. Well, if they're going to be dead to rights, why send them? But You know, I mean, usually you do if the outfielder is an inconsistent thrower and he's erratic, you take a chance he's going to make a bad throw. Well, when he doesn't and the ball's on the money, you do get booed. So um, you use the best judgment you can, the situation of the game and where you're at, and you make your decision.
0: I don't know if this has struck you the same way, but it seems to me, especially when I was younger, there were a lot of great arms in this game, guys like Jesse Barfield, Ellis Valentine, so on and so forth. Are there that many great arms now?
1: You know, not as much. You know, guys don't work on it. It's it's at the bottom of the list. Base running and throwing in the outfield are probably the two of the areas that are at the bottom of the list. Guys are hitting like crazy, right? They're always in the cage. They work on their defense. I mean the infielders take their ground balls and they throw across, but you know, you don't take infield anymore. So the guys have to come out early to work on their throwing. And quite frankly, you know, they spend a lot of time in the gym. And, you know, when we were coming up, there wasn't a lot of weights involved, and they believed, you know, you have to use your arm and you have to throw every day to develop that arm and keep your touch and, and, and keep get your arm in shape. It's kind of like a pitcher, you know, you build them up in the spring. Well, throughout a course of a year with no infield, and sometimes you go, you know, days without making a throw, if you don't come out on a routine basis and work on your throwing, you're not going to develop your arm or be that good at it. So um, I, I think it's dropped off. It's not quite as important. I mean, everything revolves around the hitting and pitching, and that seems to be the most important areas that uh, people are concerned with.
0: Who do you think has the best arm nowadays in the outfield?
1: Well, the guy for the Dodgers is, is very good, Puig. You know, he's very accurate, uh, great arm strength, and uh, to your point, there's only a handful of guys now that when they get the ball, you, you stop the runner. That really intimidates you. Uh, years ago, I thought there was a lot more. Um, off the top of my head, maybe it's this Percocet that I'm taking. I can't, <laughs> I can't think of another guy. Um, that that comes to mind. But there's three or four guys in the league. Oh, uh, Para with mm-hmm. Colorado. He's always been very good. And, you know, fortunate for me, he played in the outfield with Colorado. But I uh, never got in a situation where two outs, a base hit, and I needed to send him. So uh, he didn't get us uh, as well. But there's there's three or four guys in the league that are of that caliber. And the rest of them, um, you know, they're all about average. Yeah.
0: I used to love the players with the great arms. That was, you know, when I was playing, that was probably the thing I did best. So I kind of I kind of reacted or, or, or related to those guys as much as I could relate, you know. But right. uh, it, it, was, it was fun to see the guys who could, well, I mean, I saw Dave Parker throw one from the track and right field on a bounce to third base. And that, I don't know how it strikes you, but it seems like
1: a guy makes a throw like that, especially when he throws somebody out, it puts a charge in the dugout too. No question. And, um, you know, we've won three World Series here, you know, not by pounding the ball, but by playing baseball, Mm -hmm. by executing, you know, pitching, playing good defense, um, you know, advancing on balls in the dirt, uh, you know, executing in the game. And uh, when you play close games, a throw from an outfield, uh, throwing somebody out is a huge play. And I have to tell you, after coaching third base, you know, when I was bench coaching, Flan was always wanting pinch runners, right? Every time Pablo got on, he's looking in, hey, can we get a pinch runner? <laughs> and I understand it because now when you're out there and you got a, a slow guy at second base and you have a team that is aggressive in the outfield like the Padres, Padres play real shallow. Mm-hmm. Arizona, on the other hand, they play deep. You know, when the outfield's deep, you feel really good about scoring that guy. But when you have good arms out there and that outfield play shallow um, it puts a lot of pressure on a third base cor- coach to score that guy
0: uh, is this an area where the Giants need to improve base running
1: well I think I think we need to improve in, in all areas um, you know myself and Jose Aguasil, we did as much as we could last year to try to improve the mentality of stealing bases I think we stole two more bases than we did the previous year mm. um, you know but I was overall I was pleased with the job that we did, one number that I was extremely happy with is outs on the bases, not stolen bases, but getting doubled off, mm-hmm. trying to go the extra base and getting thrown out. I think it was in July, and you know we had 54 outs on the bases the previous year, and at that point we only had like 30. So we cut that number in half. Mm-hmm. Um, so so as though there's some of the statistics that I look at. The thing that I realized, Ray, when you watch a major league game, you're going to see blunders on the bases, oh. you know. I mean, no matter how much preparation, no matter how much you talk to the guys, some players just don't have the instincts to make the read in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's part of it. And, and honestly, sometimes, you know, guys don't put enough effort into it as they should. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an area I think that all major league teams need to improve upon. Just
0: need to get you more traffic down there.
1: Well, that'd be nice because if you get a guy thrown out and you got 10 more chances, I like those odds. Yeah. yeah, put some more pressure on the pitcher. And that's, that's been a lot of
0: the talk of the offseason. How much attention do you pay to that right now, especially the search for the general manager, how they're going to remake this squad? Or is there a period where you just turn it off or, or are you watching the games or are you keeping involved?
1: well i'm watching the games i've always liked to watch the playoff games um i'm certainly keeping an eye on the general manager search i mean um you know i want to know what's going on obviously it could affect all of us um, when this guy comes in there's been some names rumored that you know, I've had experiences with like Kim Eng with uh, with LA when she was there. Heim Bloom, who I interviewed with as well, when he was in Tampa Bay with the assistant with uh, Matt Silverman. So it's interesting to see some of those names come up. You know, um, so you keep an eye on it, but. Uh, again I think that uh, you know it's it's not extremely important uh, once we get the general manager in place I, I'm more into watching the games and and trying to watch uh, you know try to help with the free agency and what players we may want to get to get us better so it's business as usual for me but things could change obviously when we get the new general manager
0: well the the phrase that we hear is next gen general manager from Larry bear and you know there's there's a lot of talk about analytics you were discussing that earlier uh, on the broadcasts, I'm all over the sport now. But it, it seems like there's been a tug of war going on for a few years about that, maybe with the Giants, too. Uh, and all, more information I've always felt is good. But you're dealing with human beings. So how do you strike that balance?
1: Well, I think that's the key, Ray. You're exactly right. You have to strike the balance. I think the Giants, we get a bad rap for not using analytics. you know. And I hear people, announcers, there was just an article in the New York Post talking about our three World Series and how we're old school and don't use analytics. And you know what? That's not correct. We're using as much as anybody. Last year, um, we we used the full gamut of it. You know, the difference is the players on the field. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, everybody here talks about L.A. and Houston. Well, look at the players they have on the field and healthy. You know, you look back to when we won. We we won. We had our health intact, and it's unfortunate to be in the situation we are because we had more injuries than we can overcome this past season. I thought the plan was good um, if we would have stayed healthy. But to your point, the analytics, there needs to be a balance, and, and our guy Michael Schwartz did a great job for us this year. I tried to give him the input from what I have to deal with and what I see opposed to just giving me the statistics on the numbers because it is a human element um and you have to look at video you just can't look at statistics you got to look at swings so there's a whole nother element in there that I try to educate Michael on Mm -hmm. and he and he's done a good job of educating us the coaches on on how he can improve what we do
0: yeah and they kind of try to account for that with line drive rate hard hit rate and and things like that but even that doesn't tell you until you look at the swing and, and and also how the guy's feeling at a particular time of the year
1: well, you're right. And I've always, you know, as long as I've been in this game, I, I believe in people. And uh, there's certain individuals, you know, when the, when the game's on the line, you're going to be more trusting of him because he's done it over time. You know, our experiences in the game um, have, have led us to believe in certain things, and they're not always numbers-based. We want to look at the numbers, but that isn't always the determining factor. There's so many other variables Involved in making a decision in the game. You know, I find it interesting watching the playoffs now. You know, this hater, the the controversy with him, they threw him three innings the first game. That was their plan to get through the game. And then the second game, he wasn't available, which they could have won if he was. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, he went two-thirds of an inning in game three, and they've changed their whole plan to where, you know. So some of these teams here with this new way to go about it, they're 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 learning on the fly in in a playoff game, and uh, I like to think there's no substitute for experience and having lived through those situations uh, to formulate the ideas and the beliefs that we have. Yeah, somebody on
0: Twitter told me what a what an idiot council was, and I had to tell him, well, a first of all, he's not an idiot. B, it's not just him making these decisions, and that's the way it is. Where it's Dave Roberts, a bunch of these guys the way they use their pitchers they've got a whole plan that they discuss with the gm
1: in the front office no no doubt about it and um, you know I, I, listen i'm a believer in the analytics anything that makes us better when i first got to the big leagues in 98 i had all these notes on paper from managing in the minor leagues and the first year i went to the big leagues i got myself a computer because <laughs> i knew jo- joe madden was over there in anaheim and this is the way it was going it's going to make things e- easier and i've always done that i mean with the uh, with the defensive spray charts, 15 years ago with the Giants, trying to work with our video people to tell them what we need. So we're always, I've always been trying to be better at what we do, but it definitely needs to be a blend today. Um, You know, the analytics isn't the end all. And And honestly, a lot of the old school attitudes um, is not the end all. So if you can blend the two and do it effectively, uh, you have a good plan. But the bottom line is the players got to execute that plan. And uh, when you have good players on the field, um, they execute a little bit better than mediocre players.
0: Giants third base coach Ron Wotis joining us on Triples Alley Report for a few more minutes. Uh, could be Bruce Bochy's last go round in 2019. Uh, how about yourself and and you know your relationship with Bochy over these years uh, is that a plan for you, or how are you going to handle it in the future?
1: Well, we'll, we'll take it uh, a year at a time. I've been with the Giants an awful long time. Um, this is where I want to be. Um, you know, if I had an opportunity to manage, um, that's what I, what I would love to do, and I'd love to manage here in San Francisco if the opportunity presented itself. So we'll see what happens. You know, um, all of us are signed for one more year. And uh, we'll see. That could change with the new GM. He could decide to, to wipe us all out and put his own people in. I don't expect that to happen. So uh, we'll see where we're at when the season's over. That's one thing about in baseball since I signed in 1979. You know, it's been, a, it's been a long road, and I think I've had about five two-year contracts. So being on a one-year contract and being in a situation where the GM changes or the manager changes uh, is not unfamiliar, and it's just something you kind of deal with.
0: You've had a lot of interviews for a manager, and there's some openings out there. Uh, So that's that's a hope you still have uh, in this game. And I know, uh, listen, there's a lot of people who really respect you in this game and know you could do a hell of a job. But, uh, you know, a lot of things have to fall into place, I guess, in, in order for that to happen.
1: Well, it's different today. There's no question. I think that, uh, you know, with the younger GMs coming in and more analytics-based, I think a lot of them want young people um, that will be on board with them upstairs. Um, You know, a lot of good baseball people I've seen in the game are not getting jobs. Uh, Dusty Baker, for one. You know, Joe Girardi's out of a job. You got Chris Spire, who's been a great coach uh, over the years in this league. I've watched him work and worked with him. Uh, Doesn't have a job. So, there seems to be a little, bit of a, a changing of, of the guard, uh, but at the same time, um, when you get a chance to work with people and they see what you can do, you like to think the job you do on the field and the areas that you you have been in charge of that have been successful, you like to think that counts for something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and the whole thing about analytics with the Giants, and you mentioned it, kind of a bad rap that they get, and it's a point I made in a podcast earlier Of course they're using analytics. It's just that the results on the field sometimes don't look like it. I mean, the the roster was shaved down to almost nothing at the end. You know, even the guys who were bringing up from the minors to replace the veterans were getting hurt. So it just looked like that on the field, and it's hard to deal with it when when you don't have a lot to work with.
1: And that's the buzzword today, analytics. Look, we we won three world championships not long ago, and it wasn't analytical-driven and as I said, the Houston and the Dodgers right now are two teams that say they use the analytics, but they got very good players yeah. on the field, and it wasn't long ago that we were winning championships and I don't think all of us have gotten dumb in the last three years or, or, or it's because we're behind the curve. It's not true. Um, we do everything we can, the organization, uh, Brian Sabian, everybody in the organization uh, to have us be as good as we can be, and uh, at the end of the day you need players and you need to stay healthy and I said it at the beginning of this interview I think if we would have kept our health this year we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right now.
0: Well at one point you were five games over 500 in the middle of the year so uh, you know you were you were kind of you were four or five games out for much of the year then September happened and a lot of players Left for various reasons, and Buster had surgery. Brandon Bell had surgery. McCutcheon got traded, and so there wasn't a you know a big margin for error. But whatever margin there was got wiped out.
1: You're exactly right. I mean, you know, we we were 30 games under 500 last year, and we were around 500 five games over near the trading deadline, five or six games back. But I, I think the straw that broke our back was we, we kept their head above water despite all the injuries we had. But mm. when you lost three more starters, you mentioned it, Buster, Buster, McCutcheon, and Duggar in center field, who was starting to play the way he's capable. We have already been thin, and I thought the organization did a good job of having depth, for guys like Alan Hansen's to plug in, look at Rodriguez and Suarez. We had so many positives this year uh, to keep us afloat, but when we lost three more starters mm-hmm. at the end of July, um, it was just too much to overcome, and we finished like think five and twenty-one playing playoff caliber teams. So, um, all in all, uh, you know our health uh, was a big reason for for the way the season turned out. Mm-hmm.
0: And even after a year like that in the last couple of years, and and really the way it ended in 2016 as well, uh, you know, you've been in this game long enough. You know there are going to be ups and downs, but uh, does it take long to recharge the batteries and get fired up for the next year?
1: Um, well, no. Every, you know what? It seems to be the right amount of time because <laughs> yeah. whether you go to the World Series and you sit back and and, and you enjoy the wintertime, and you do enjoy it a lot better when you win the World Series, yeah. let me tell you that, yeah. but by the time spring runs, rolls around and the weather's turning nice, you're ready to go. I mean, this is what I've been doing since high school and i love what i do and there's something you know we're very fortunate to be able to compete with grown men and and play a kid's game for a living so i always look forward to it
0: well it's going to be fascinating to see how they remake the roster as well and i think there will be some some major changes uh but to your point about the astros and, and other teams i'll use the analogy of the warriors because when they won a couple of years ago people were saying well is the nba going to go small now I said, fine, but you're not going to have those five players. You know? You're not going to have the Hamptons five or you know, when you added Durant. So you've got to have the talent on top of that. And that's over everything else in the changes of this game. It's the talent. So I know you and everybody in the organization is going to pay close attention to how this roster is remade.
1: Yeah, no, no question. And, you know, um, we're, we're, there's going to be changes. You know, on top of it, we had a few guys this year who didn't have the years that um, we wanted them to have. But I do know this after beating the next game my whole life. You play this game long enough. Even if you're a great player, you know, you're bound to have a down year. You look at the back of the card, not every year is the same as the last one. There's off years here and there, and and who knows what the reasons are for that. So, um, you know, our people will do the best job they can to get us better going in the next year, and, and hopefully the players... We'll come back, refresh the guys that didn't have good years, and we'll come back and have the years they're capable of having.
0: Well, one of those guys is Buster Posey. And, I mean, he didn't have a horrible year, especially for a catcher, but it wasn't what you're used to seeing from Buster. I mean, how much did the hip affect his swing?
1: well i i believe it had to affect him more than than we knew because um the talent is there he still has youth on his side i mean he's he's been in a lot involved with a lot of baseball, but he's you know he's under what thirty years old he's he's still in an area where you know he should be. You know, he's not on the downslide. He's in the prime of his life. You look at a guy like Benji Molina, who's 35, 36 in in St. Louis, is still getting the job done. So i got to believe that the hip did affect him. And, uh, you know, I I think when you're you're not winning games like we were last year, because he didn't have his greatest year last year. He hit for average but not driving in runs. When you lose as a team, most players' years – aren't really good. When you win together as a team, everybody seems to have a better year. So I expect Buster to come back healthy and and have a big year next year. Yeah, and that would be important for
0: the middle of that order and get them a little help as well. So we'll, we'll see.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, when you lose one guy in an offensively challenged lineup, when you yeah. lose one guy in that lineup, it affects a, a, a whole lot on your team. And, and when we lose, you know, three starters at the end of the year, um, it was very difficult to overcome that. Yeah, you have
0: number seven hitters hitting number five or four, not whether they used to be in the lineup.
1: No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, not many teams can cover, you know, that amount of injuries. but. Um, as we said, you know, next year's a new year. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll make some positive changes and uh, we'll be ready to go next spring.
0: All right. First of all, get that knee taken care of and uh, then we'll get you out on the golf course and then we'll see you in Scottsdale.
1: Sounds good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All Thanks, right. Ray. Thanks again to
0: Ron Wotus. And, you know, the Giants have to make changes. It's inevitable when you're going in the wrong direction for two years now. Yeah, they're going a better direction to start 2018 but injuries blew that up and they just didn't have the roster to compete but whatever changes they make in the front office they'd be smart to keep a guy like ron wotus around uh, his experience his knowledge of this group his ability to adjust he's been a bench coach he's been a third base coach and in fact that qualifies him to be a manager he's gotten several interviews just hasn't gotten the call yet and i hope i hope age is not an issue here because this is a guy who has a lot to offer who is keeping up with the modern game as well as uh, calling on a wealth of experience. Uh, Whatever club has him will benefit by having him around. One thing that is a constant in baseball is resistance to change. No sport celebrates old school like baseball. It's true that in every sport there are old time players who complain that today's players have it easy. They're soft. They're weak on fundamentals. They couldn't survive in my day. But it's especially true in baseball with guys like goose gossage. But here's what else is true. Today's players are so much more talented and athletic. The question is, which of the old-timers could survive today? Yes, there were talented athletic players back then, but much more so today. There's no doubt in my mind that the modern-day player could do very well in the 60s and 70s, say, even accounting for a supposed lack of fundamentals and attention to detail. And the other constant in baseball is change, as well as the resistance to change. And the game has changed a lot in the last few years. It's being thought of in new ways. And I'm not troubled by this. I find it pretty interesting. Yeah, some of the changes may stick. Some won't. Some are fads. Some will succeed. Some will fail. Changes and adjustments, that is what this game is about. We've seen teams use the shift much more and in more extreme ways. And we've seen hitters trying to adjust by hitting the ball over everybody's head. Of course, Babe Ruth could have told you that about a century ago. Then there is Bullpenny, All the rage now in 2018. Some teams out of necessity because they don't have the starting pitching. The A's starting pitching was shredded by the time they got to the wild card game. Liam Hendricks might have been a fish out of the water getting the ball to start the game. Gave up a two spot. They're playing from behind and they lose to the Yankees in the wild card game. But you're seeing a lot of teams cobbling together games, multiple pitchers who presumably are bringing in fresh arms while they avoid the dreaded third time around the order. Uh, The Rays are one of those teams, the Twins another. Uh, So much for pace of play, by the way, with all those pitching changes. Whatever the case may be, uh, Brewers manager Craig Council is getting under the microscope now because it's the postseason and everybody's watching the games. But he didn't invent this pulling the starter early For a relief pitcher, Bruce Bocce was doing it as early as 2010, but he had guys like Jeremy Affelt and Yusmero Petit down there in the bullpen. I think for Craig Council, the bottom line is, my bullpen is tremendous. I have a cadre of great arms. I'm looking at my starting rotation compared to the Dodgers starting rotation, and I'm at a disadvantage. How do I gain an advantage? I go to my strength, and that is the bullpen. So in some games, he's going to make heavy use of that pen. Now, using Josh Hader for three innings in Game 1 might have been a mistake. I would imagine he'll use him a little differently going later into this NLCS against the Dodgers. But this is nothing terribly new. I don't think it's something that lasts for a whole season. You couldn't do this over 162 games. But yeah, in the postseason, you pull out all the stops. And by the way, even though Hader was not available for Game 2, Council didn't have chopped liver down there in the bullpen. Corbin Burns had been pretty good. Didn't work in Game 2. Jeffers had only thrown 11 pitches in Game 1. Didn't work in Game 2. Uh, he almost blew Game 3, but he hung on. I think after Yasiel Puig gesticulated it toward him, like, throw the ball over the plate, that kind of angered Jeffress. And, yeah, he threw the ball over the plate after that. He, he struck out a couple. And, uh, you know, Kike Hernandez complaining about Dodger fans not being energetic. Well, they were energetic when they booed Yasmani Grandal. Uh, by the way, I don't blame Grandal for not blocking the one that allowed the second run in. That was a 50-foot breaking ball. A lot of catchers couldn't block that. But he's had a brutal postseason. So Dodger fans are reacting to that. A little bit of the frustration of uh, having postseason failure at the very end. Even though you get to the Game 7 of the World Series, you can hardly call the season of failure. But the bottom line is it comes down to the players. Whatever moves you make, whether you're thinking outside the box or not, it's up to the players to perform. And, yes, as a relief pitcher in the postseason, if you're an eighth-inning guy, you've got to be ready to come in in the second or third inning sometimes. If you're a starter that's going well, hopefully your manager's smart enough to keep you in there. Yolis Chassin went into the sixth. He reminded me a lot of the Yola Chassin I saw a lot against the Giants over the years, and the Dodger hitters were doing a pretty good imitation of Giants hitters from those years. He kept them off balance. 47 of his 86 pitchers were sliders, and the Dodgers were over 10 with runners in scoring position. The players perform, and they make the manager look good or they make him look dumb. And to bring it around to the start of this podcast, that is why talent evaluation is so important in this game, as it is in any game, but especially for the Giants right now. they got to restock that minor league system, not only to make sure they have players ready for the major leagues, but as trade pieces as well. And so we talked about some of the candidates for the Giants' uh, general manager job and their track record in drafting. That is where it's at for the Giants, especially outfielders. Got to get some outfield bats here and, and get some guys who have an idea of the strike zone. That would be a start. And yes, analytics will be a part of that, but also understanding human beings is a big part of it as well. And that's something Ron Wotus uh, stressed, and I think it's important to do so as long as this game is being played by human beings. Thanks again to Giants third base coach Ron Wotus for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. I don't know where I'll be, maybe in a yurt, maybe on top of a hill, but we'll be
1: doing Triple's Holly Report episode eight next week. Talk to you then.